booking. Do you want to have the best reading year ever? Welcome to the 2023 Mom Advice Book Club year. I am so excited to kick things off today and read for another year with you. Now, before we discuss the differences between last year and this year, I do want to remind you that we are not fully done with our 2022 book club year. Please join me for our final 2022 book club discussion with our first cozy science fiction novella selection, A Psalm for the Wild, built by Becky Chambers. In the story, the robots of Panga have decided to leave their jobs and put down their tools, never to be seen again. One day, a tea monk's life is upended by the arrival of a robot that has returned and he won't leave until he can answer this single question. What do people need? This story is hopeful and like a comforting cup of tea on a cold day. If you enjoy this odd couple story as much as I do, you will also be pleased to know that the second adventure, A Prayer for the Crown Shy, is also available. This discussion will be happening a week early on December 16th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Are you new here? Welcome to the Book Gang Podcast. My name is Amy Allen Clark from momadvice.com. Book Gang is all about those debuts, under the radar book choices, and helping you expand your stack with backlist book selections. You are listening to the 2023 Mom Advice Book Club selections announced. Friends, I am so excited to reveal our next book club year together. If you haven't heard of the Mom Advice Book Club, I am so happy that you tuned in today. I am also thrilled to introduce you to our carefully curated book club year designed for busy budget-minded readers. Each year, I curate and announce all 12 book club selections on December 1st, allowing you to make a library hold requests for materials early or to take advantage of our independent bookstore savings through our partnered bookshop, Fables Books. While I can fully admit that the slow reveals are fun, like in the big book clubs offered by my favorite bookish celebrities, they are not always practical for a budget-minded reader. One thing that I think makes this book club particularly special is that we select authors that are excited to participate in our patron community by curating primarily debut novelists and under-the-radar book club selections in nine of our spots. This year, we asked for testimonials on how this impacted our writers this year, and I have to share with you a quote from Jeff Zentner, who wrote In the Wildlight. This was his impression of the book club that we do. Being chosen for the Mom Advice Book Club was one of the best things that has ever happened for my writing career. It introduced my books to a tremendously engaging, empathetic, and intelligent audience. I couldn't ask for more. As you can hear from Jeff's impressions, this is a community that you will want to be part of. Now, each year I slot nine of these spots for our community, and then I issue a community poll for three of the other slated spots that our club would like to discuss. This gives us a few legs of familiarity with more well-known books to add to an annual stack, and it also increases your community participation. The goal of the club is to sample a wide variety of books that I think will offer dynamic discussions, give us new viewpoints on the world and the people in it, and introduce you to a new favorite author that I guarantee you may have never heard of before. Now, joining these discussions on the Mom Advice Book Club 
is free and can be accessed by searching for the Mom Advice Book Club on Facebook and requesting to join. Now, many of our readers, including myself, have expressed Zoom fatigue. We will continue our typed chat format. This not only works better with everyone's schedules, but it gives readers a chance to jump in if they finish the book later in the year and to participate in that discussion that was provided. Now, our chats include typical book club discussion chats, like the normal questions you might find at the back of the book, but I also supply five to seven quotable news articles and facts to round out that discussion. For example, we just completed the 100 years of Lenny and Margot, and part of that discussion led to our discovery that the Glasgow Hospital, where our story had taken place, had just announced that day that their art therapy program that we had been reading about was expanding into a garden as well. We also learned about the symbolism of yellow roses, for example, which was an important flower that symbolized friendship, but it's also important in things like funeral bouquets. And then we took a small virtual tour of the art exhibit that inspired the author's work. Now, this year, we are going to be continuing to offer some really key bonus features for our paid patrons. And being a paid patron is super affordable. Let me tell you how much it is. It's $5 a month, or you can prepay for a 10% savings for the year, which works out to about like $4.50 a month, which is roughly the cost of a coffee. And I just don't think you're going to find these unique bonuses anywhere else. So let me tell you what we have for you this year. The first patron benefit is a 15% coupon savings through our partnered bookshop, Fables Books out of Goshen, Indiana, on any of the 2023 books that are announced today. I am so thrilled that we will continue this partnership, and I want to remind our local readers that you can pick up those books right at the bookstore to save on shipping. Fables also has conveniently added a landing page on their page so you can go right to that page to order any books and support a small business, which is really, really cool. Now, this year, we also have a commitment from 11 out of 12 of our authors so far this year. With each author, I record an hour of as high definition as possible interviews with them that you can watch in video format or listen to through a podcast, depending on your own family schedule. We will talk through the entire plot of this book from beginning to end. So you will find out exactly why authors make certain decisions regarding their plots and characters. It's something that has enhanced many of our patrons' reading experiences. Each book club book is also narrated through song by a playlist I designed for each book, and I take my background in music to narrate your books chapter by chapter. To add to the fun and community building, this year is something new. We will be expanding our patron experience with three bonus books with unique reading experiences meant to facilitate more personal connections for those that desire that and new ways to interact with your books. The last three books that are revealed in this last part of our discussion and shared with you are more interactive in nature and give us some expansion even beyond the things that we're talking about today. Now, for readers that have loved our book shirts over the years, we are offering this book stack in another illustrated shirt, totes, 
and of course, mug designs. There are two versions this year to choose from, one with our bonus stack included with all 15 books and another that just has the 12 books stacked. So pick your bookish poison this year. I love that this shirt has become a cult classic that many readers buy every single year in varieties of colors. This is our basically grown up book it pin that showcases everything that you did throughout your reading year with me. Now, ideally, I would do everything for free for you. You know I would, but these expenses are numerous. I honestly, hundreds of hours of love and help go into each one of these creations that we make for our readers to make it as beautiful and immersive as possible. So I am a content creator. That is how I make a living. And if you feel like I add value to your life, if I value $4.50 or $5 to your life, please consider joining my Patreon. I promise that these listed rewards that I just spelled out for you are just a start. To learn more, head to patreon.com backslash mom advice or check today's show notes. That is p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com backslash mom advice. Today's host is my dear friend, Megan Francis. Megan is a writer and author, podcaster, business owner, and has more recently launched her own community called Mother of Reinvention that I think anyone who is in the midlife age will appreciate. We have been helping each other out as we get our new years off the ground, and she has a wonderful community and podcast. So definitely check out Mother of Reinvention. And she's also been a seasoned voice for many years, co-hosting with Sarah Powers on The Mom Hour, which is another phenomenal podcast. She was just the kind of host that we needed for today's chat because she knows how to guide a great discussion. So I am really excited to have her here. And today's special announcement comes with a post with all of my written reviews. So you definitely want to check the show notes if you want to browse around and take a peek at all of these books later. Okay, I think I have set this one up enough. Let's read together in 2023. All right, friends, this is the big announcement. We are going to be talking about our 2023 Mom Advice Book Club picks. And I am so excited to introduce you to my friend, Megan Francis, who is joining me so I don't have to talk about these alone. Megan, thank you so much for being here. Oh, Amy, I am so excited to be here. You have an amazing list lined up for 2023. Um, and I just can't wait to go through it for your community. Well, this is a unique year because we will have our 12 book club picks just like we have had in the past. And then we will have three additional picks for our patrons. So it is going to be a really fun year. And I'm excited to talk about this list with you and with all of our listeners because this is a big year of books. We have everything. We've got literary fiction, young adult, memoir, uh, historical fiction, just trying to touch on all the genres. And we finally get to talk about every single book that we have featured for today. This looks like an awesome list. Um, before we dive in, I know that I, this time of year, I'm kind of looking and deciding, oh, what am I going to jump in on for the year? What am I going to commit to for the year? And I think it might be nice to hear 
like exactly what the difference is between what you get as a free member or what you might get if you join as a patron. That would be helpful to me too. Yeah. So for our free membership, you can join any of the Facebook events that we host for these 12 first picks that we're going to be talking about. We just do these on a typed discussion. And if you happen to miss it on the night that I host it, which is typically the last Friday of every month, then you can hop in at a later date and just pick up our conversation and jump in when you are ready. Now for the patron benefits, those will be for all 15 books, but with the 12 books, you get the more immersive experience. So you get to have a music playlist that's designed around the book's themes. And we also have the author interview series. And this year we have a commitment from 11 out of 12 of the authors so far. I'm hoping that we can snag this last one. And that means that you get an hour with the author talking about their book from start to finish. So I'm really excited about this year because this is the most commitment we've ever had. And I can't wait to introduce you to each of these voices. I think it's amazing that you have that all lined up in advance. And um, I agree that you are a real nerd about authors. And I mean that in the best possible way, but you know things that I wouldn't even think to ask. So I'm really excited to dive in on these selections. Um, and you can give us a little tidbits that you've got. And there's a few on here that look amazing and that I can't wait to read as well. So let's start with January. Your pick for January 2023 is This Boy We Made by Taylor Harris. Tell us about that book. This is a really engrossing memoir on motherhood. And I selected it because the author faced a challenge in her motherhood journey where she has a child that they are having a difficult time finding a diagnosis for. And this story utilizes two timelines. So we are reflecting back on her time growing up, her struggles with anxiety, some of the things that have shaped her as a person. And then we are going through this journey in real time with her as her son Tofs is facing a lot of medical challenges. And what I love about it is how it made me think about the way that I respond to things as a mom are kind of shaped by how I was raised or what had affected my mental health when I was young and how I respond with a lot of anxiety to different situations. And I think that this anxiety is both her superpower and it also hinders her just in the same ways that it does for me. And interspersed throughout that, we are understanding some unique challenges that she faces because she is a Black mother who is navigating the medical system and she is also navigating an educational system later for her son, Tofs, who doesn't necessarily check all the boxes for a traditional IEP. And she has to be his advocate. And it talks about these things that have happened to her growing up and why she is feeling frustrated with both the educational and the medical system. I just thought it was super, super profound. I loved getting to talk to Taylor about this journey and also to hear some updates on TOEFs because, you know, he is getting older now. I believe he was around five when we finally sat down to have this conversation. So we get to see 
where they are at now and what those challenges are for her at this point. Well, that's, I think that that is something so many, um, moms that are, you know, part of your book club are going to be able to really relate to or moms with anxiety who maybe don't have kids with special needs, um, or moms who have all of it, you know, so that's, that's great. I love that. Okay. Moving on to February, we've got the matchmaker's gift by Linda Cohen Loigman. Tell us about that book. Well, it is February. So I wanted to do something for Valentine's Day. And I know that maybe some of you were hoping for a romance. This has romance themes, but it is rooted really in historical fiction. This is a beautiful story that celebrates a joyful Jewish story. And the reason why I decided that I wanted to pick this is really a conversation from my co-host, Larry, who helps me run the Fully Book Show over on Patreon. He is Jewish, and we had kind of just been talking about some of my historical fiction picks. And he said that he avoids historical fiction from World War II and around the Holocaust because it's just really traumatic and and difficult for him to read about. And I started to think about, yes, like the majority of the historical fiction fiction books that I have picked have been focused on that because that is a popular genre for us to learn and understand some new lessons from. So I thought, you know, this year I would really like to pick a book that maybe Larry could read with me or anyone else who wants to celebrate a joyful Jewish story. This is about Loigman's own historical research that she did on Jewish matchmaking. Just a fun fact, in the early 1900s, there were over 5,000 matchmakers that were operating just in one pocket of New York where they were, you know, doing all of this matchmaking. And basically, Loigman was inspired by a time that she unexpectedly got gifted with her daughter and her daughter's roommate who had come home during the pandemic and they had been watching Indian matchmaking and they got in a conversation and her roommate said this great story about someone in her family who was a matchmaker and it just sparked interest in her. And Linda had planned to write a different book, but put that project aside because this really sparked her creativity. This is a dual timeline story. So we have Sarah, who's a in the early 1900s. She has discovered that she personally has a special talent for bringing people together. And Loikman uses magical realism to tell this story. So when she sees people, she's seeing physical like little sparks between them and magical elements, but it's very grounded in reality. It was primarily a male-dominated occupation. So Hmm. Sarah initially hides her special talent and she is discouraged from continuing what she's doing. So she starts doing this matchmaking in secret. And then we are gifted a dual timeline experience in the 90s with her granddaughter who finds these journals about Sarah and realizes that, yeah, she might have a little bit of the same kinds of gifts, but she is a divorce attorney dividing assets, ending marriages as part of her Mm. job. And as she's diving into this history, she also discovers that Sarah has a hidden promise that she would like for her to execute. And so it is their two timelines coming together as they celebrate this, you know, time in history that a lot of people don't know about, about the Jewish matchmaking history. It's really beautiful, well-researched. Um, and I love hearing how Linda was so sparked by this, you know, time with her daughter and her daughter's roommate around the dinner table 
it just it sounded very feminist forward what she wanted to achieve, but in a really cozy, cozy way. I love this. It's reminding me a little bit of the latest season or two of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which I think is set like in the early 60s. But um, I was surprised to learn from the plot line with uh, Midge's mom how like matchmaking in New York City it, in those years and those decades as well was serious business. Like it was very professionalized. And so it's kind of cool to think back, you know, five decades before that, what it might have looked like in the 1910s. Yeah, she definitely had a lot of research that she went into this with. And at the end of the book, you'll find, I think, probably a good dozen New York Times articles about different matchmakers. And if you buy the book, the physical copy of it, it is stunning. The cover has little elements of Jewish history and matchmaking, but it also has some fun little nods. Like there's a pickle man who has a little jar of pickles of someone that she had told the story of matchmaking with. And so I just think it's really, really beautiful if you can grab a physical copy of it. It's also just a wonderful, wonderful holiday gift. Oh, sounds great. I'm definitely adding that one to my read list. Um, okay, so for March, you've got A Quiet Life by Ethan Joella. Tell us about that book. Well, Ethan Joella is a bit of a darling on Bookstagram, and he is also a darling of our show. He has been on the show to talk about writing his first book. He is a professor during the day, and then he writes in his spare hours, which I find incredibly impressive. His first book was also picked up by Jenna's Book Club as a bonus book, so he's not not a well-known name, but this is his second book, and and I really, really love the first one. This one might be my favorite. And I did tell him that. And he does share that apparently I'm not alone in those feelings. His <laughs> wife actually really loved it too. So this is continuing on themes of huggable and heartwarming stories. This is a winter read that I think will be perfect for any reader who embraces character-driven stories set in small towns. In this book, we have three interconnected stories with characters that are all facing different kinds of loss. One of them has a daughter who is missing, for example. Another character is trying to find themselves and love through a difficult season. And then we have uh, our main character. I feel like his main story kind of holds all of the glue together. And he is planning a trip to Hilton Head, but uh, it is without his wife. And she has just recently passed away and he's trying to make the decision if he's going to move forward with it. And Ethan brings these three characters together. It's a bit of a found family celebration. And I just think his like storytelling is so moving. He has really great uses of symbolism. He creates beautiful backstories. Most of his sentences, you can feel like all your senses, like Ugh. he will tie in like that really beautiful, like expensive moisturizer that the grandmother wears or, or something like that, where you, as soon as you read the sentence, you can feel everything. What's really, really sweet is like the cover of it is a cardinal in a winter setting. And the cardinal appears because basically cardinals stay through all of winter towards the end of winter. And it's talking about how we can be cardinals in other people's lives. And I think that's such a beautiful thing to think about how we can be there for people through winter seasons. It's just stunning. And I am so excited that this book came out late November. We selected it for March because it's a opportunity if you need to get your copy from the library that hopefully you won't have to wait really, really long wait times for a hold. Yeah, that's like, that's really smart to time it that way. But as you were talking, I was thinking, oh, that sounds like such a great like early winter book. It'll still be plenty wintry in the 
in the Midwest in March though. So yeah. <laughs> there will still only be Cardinals at my feeder in March. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Ethan also, I feel like he has big Midwest energy and anybody yeah. who's Midwest gets it. I mean, he's just so joyful and you're just like, you're just the nicest guy. And I just want to see him succeed. I'm so excited to support him on this second book. Well, I'm definitely checking that one out as well. I think my reading list is going to get very long today, Amy. Um, okay. <laughs> let's move on to April. We've got Normal Family by Krista Bilton. Yeah, I was on the hunt for unlikely family stories. And I read a lot of fiction books about that. And none of them were really grabbing me. But then I ran across this memoir of a woman who is discovering 35 siblings that she had never known about. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's this a big is family reunion right there, right? <laughs> yes. And surprisingly, just, you know, there are no spoilers here. Krista opens her story with inviting her siblings over for the first time for a family reunion, which is a unique way to like start a story like that. And then it weaves back through her history and how all of that came about. But just, you know, for context, Krista originally, probably for the 10 years that she knew that they existed, had decided to not pursue, you know, forming relationships or friendships with anyone and kind of wanted to keep that at bay and then start to invite them into her life. And that is what we will be talking about with Krista in her interview about how this new kind of found family, I guess you could call it that, um, you know, started and how it has helped her throughout her life and also to find out if her family has expanded beyond that. So I have to get to the origin story because this is I was just gonna astonishing. Say, like, how does that happen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Krista's mother was what I would call a real trailblazer. She was just really ahead of her time. The way that Krista describes it, and I think as soon as I say this, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about, is that she describes before Ellen times and after yeah. Ellen DeGeneres times, right? Okay. <laughs> she was she was uh, a lesbian in the 80s. She was really ahead of her time. She lived very openly. She was on some talk shows and lots of different media appearances. And she had a lot of really interesting relationships. I mean, she was close to a lot of different celebrities, like I'm talking like Warren Beatty. And, you know, if I name drop all of them, I'll take all the fun away from it. But her mom at that point in time really didn't have options when she had her partner to grow her family. And she had decided that she was going to try to get a sperm donation, but she had to go through kind of unlikely avenues to achieve that. And a lot of people turn her down, but then she meets this very random but handsome man at a hair salon, and he's just extremely striking. He, he looks really nice. She starts to form a friendship with him and asks him if he will help her bring her daughter into the world. At that time, we don't know it's her daughter, but bring Krista into the world and then later her sister. And the one agreement that the two of them are supposed to keep is that she will pay him, you know, because this is helping her a lot, but also that that is where this transaction has to end. Like he can't move on and like keep pursuing that as an avenue of making money. But what he does is he secretly decides to move forward with that. As soon as he realizes, oh, there's money in this. It's pretty easy cash right me. there, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. he becomes the most coveted 
donor at this sperm bank. And it becomes so like notable that at one point, the New York Times runs a piece on him. And it's, of course, his donor name. No one knows it's him. But he's really proud of it and decides to come forward. And they start to develop a story around it. And when Krista's mom finds out, she, of course, wants to keep it a secret, but there's no way to hold this information back at some point. And so it is about both that journey and also Krista's own journey of basically raising her sister alone. I would say the closest uh, book that I've probably read that would mimic that, that she felt like she could kind of share her story was that she read The Glass Castle, which I know a lot of people have read as a memoir and um, saw that, you know, she had a pretty similar kind of story. It's a very unlikely story. She went through a lot of things growing up and we get to follow along on her journey. It's just really beautiful and astounding. And it also begs us to think about when it comes to women's reproductive issues, you know, we have a lot of regulations happening and sperm donation is a largely unregulated industry, even up until, you know, I went and looked up a headline just to make sure that I'm not saying that um, out of turn and I am not. It is an unregulated industry. Hmm. And we need to think about why there's some double standards regarding reproduction and family planning. Wow, that is a crazy story, but I can't wait to sink my teeth into that one. <laughs> 35 siblings. Wow. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to May. Um, I love seeing this name on your list because this author um, is in my neck of the woods and I'm familiar with his work. This book is Magic Season by Wade Rouse. Yes. I love this book so much. It was such an unlikely pick for me. I really don't um, love baseball. I just will. Fun fact, it's not my kind of sport. And this is a memoir about how Wade and his father come together through hard seasons in their relationship and use baseball as a way to facilitate conversation, to build connection. And it is this journey where Wade is talking about, you know, both his childhood and also, you know, helping care for his father in his later years. So this is another memoir. And for those of you that may be unfamiliar with Wade Rouse, he is a bestselling author. This is, I believe, his fourth memoir under his own name, Wade Rouse. But he's also known for a pen name that he writes under, which is Viola Shipman, which is some really sweet beachy reads. So you may be familiar with either versions of Wade, which he he writes very openly under. Uh, if you check the back of the book, you'll see a picture of Wade on that. And the reason why I picked this is it's just kind the kind of book that you can read in a day. And of course, the baseball game of baseball is perfect for a summer selection. For those that may not be familiar with Wade's story, he was a queer kid who grew up in a conservative Ozarks community. And his dad is really difficult to live with. And he is really unaccepting, not only of Wade's sexuality, but he is also really baffled by the creative endeavors. He doesn't really want him to pursue writing. He would like for him to do something practical. And they also don't agree politically. So everything about Wade is different than his dad. And his dad does some really kind of surprising things to 
you know, punish him or teach him lessons or guide him in ways that feel punishing when he really needs support. But despite those differences, their game of baseball ends up being the thing that binds them together. It starts when um, Wade plays baseball when he's a kid and he's not very good at it, but he loves it so much that they can still continue to bond around it. And anytime that they don't see eye to eye, they just start talking about baseball. And I think one thing that we probably don't talk a lot about and might be, you know, something where I'm getting to an age where you do think about how things, you know, with your parents change as you get older or as your parents get older. And if you have challenging relationships, helping them through a season where they now have to be supported by you. And Wade is a very seasoned writer and he has had enough time to reflect that it never felt like he was unkind about his dad or wrote him in a way where he was like a villain. He was always written in a way that felt very grace-filled, even when you might not personally feel like he deserves the kind of grace that Wade offered him. It is so beautiful. I cried at the end. I thought it was so moving. And I got to sit down and talk to Wade about this book And it's really inspirational to hear how he uses his story and how many kids have reached out that have had similar issues with their parents and trying to find their own voice and how Wade has encouraged them through hard Mm. seasons of their own lives. Yeah. I mean, I know that's the May pick and I understand with the baseball tie-in, but wow, this time of year with people having to do holidays with parents they feel estranged from or sit around a table with, you know, people that they don't see eye to eye with, it feels like a lesson like that we could all use a little part of right now. Um, That ways, finding ways to have, to see eye to eye and to find connection. I think with younger memoirists, I think that sometimes those grace-filled moments aren't there and it doesn't feel fully flushed out when you're reading a memoir where you feel like, gosh, they still are processing things. Yeah, they're still working through some stuff. They they need to go to therapy a little bit longer before they can talk about this. That is not the case with Wade's book. It is just so beautifully done, but also that you feel like he's in a really healthy spot where he can tell that kind of story too. Literally looking forward to that one. Okay, moving on to June, you've got The Secret Life of Albert Entwistle by Matt Cain. I love the title of that book. Tell me about it. This is another huggable, heartwarming story. It's life affirming. We have Albert Entwistle. He's a nearing 65-year-old postman finding the greatest love of his life. It's so beautiful. I just want to say that sometimes when we think about elderly protagonists, we have kind of got in into this trope of like a grumpy old man who Oh yeah, the curmudgeon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's having a hard time. Okay, Albert isn't one of those kinds of guys. He is really contented. He is happy. Um he's polite. He's kind to everyone around him, but he is lonely. And that is what he is discovering and as he is retiring, he realizes His days are going to be long, empty. I mean, really, his work has given him purpose, you know, meeting, you know, people as he's delivering the mail and and different interactions that he's doing within his routines are now all going away. And the other reason why he's a little bit lonely is that he has never shared his true love. And it is also deeply rooted in a difficult and complex relationship with his dad. But he decides now that he is older, that he wants to start building his own community. And he also wants to see if the love of his life 
might still be around. And Albert is gay. So he has been keeping this quiet his whole life. And he starts coming out to his co-workers. And they all are, you know, both happy for Albert and wanting to help him kind of live his truth that he has never got to do. It is so beautiful. It's so sweet. Um, I loved Albert's bewilderment because he realizes like the world is going to be really kind to him, especially mm. in this version of the world. Um, and he is such a big hearted character. This book feels like cinematic. I could see this being like an adorable rom-com at some point. Mm. And I thought that Magic Season and The Secret Life of Albert Entwistle would be like a great book pairing because we mm. have a you know fictional version of this and we also have our memoir version of it. And not only that, I, I picked this because when I looked up Matt Cain, he is just an astounding person who has done a lot of work on the LGBTQ plus issues. He was Channel 4's first culture editor and editor-in-chief of Attitude Magazine. Um, he has spent his entire career as a writer doing that. And he also had interviewed many men that were like Albert when he was writing the story to pull all of those viewpoints together in a story that's actually like kind of a fictional retelling of what many men have gone through and doing it in such a beautiful way. And I think that Matt is going to be a wonderful addition to our author interview series because he's going to give us some context and some history as we're celebrating Pride Month together. I love this. This sounds like a fantastic book. And yeah, you don't think about sometimes that generation of men and women who really it wasn't okay, like not even close to being okay, not just in your own family, but anywhere um, for so long. And so it must be kind of bewildering to look around now and be like, wait, what? things have changed so much. Yeah, it is. It is really, truly a charming story. And I think that it's going to tick a lot of boxes. I had a hard time picking if we were going to put that in February, uh, just because I thought it would be a good one for Valentine's Day. But mm -hmm. I think this will be a fun summer selection as well. Well, let's move on to your July pick. That is Breathe and Count Back from 10 by Natalia Sylvester. Tell us about that book. Yeah. So I just want to say uh, right off the bat that I know that In the Wild Light by Jeff Zentner ended up being our reader's favorite pick of the year. And it was a young adult book. And most people had said, I'm not really into young adults. There there was some people who loved it, but I think many people felt a little challenged by this genre and then discovered, oh my gosh, this is my favorite book. It's so uplifting. Coming of age stories are always wonderful. And I think that it just really challenged me to bring another young adult book to our reading year that I think you're going to find just as endearing, meaningful, and uplifting. So Natalia creates this breathtaking original story of a teenager who has always dreamed of a role in a local mermaid attraction. I think it is really compelling, though, because Sylvester weaves in her own painful real life history with a disability that she lives with called hip dysplasia. She, as a child um, and young adult, went through numerous surgeries, and she thought you know, she would write this character of a girl who felt the most at home in the water. And it imagines her mm -hmm. in her favorite Florida attraction where she gets to open as a mermaid in a role that she personally had dreamt about for years. 
shaped from this younger viewpoint, we get to see how she views her Peruvian parents' protectiveness. And I will say there are times to not include her in conversations around some really critical moments in her medical diagnosis and the interventions that they need to do. So for example, there are some scenes, you know, where the doctor and her parents have already made a decision about moving forward forward with a surgery. And she's really frustrated because she is right on the cusp of adulthood and feels like she should be included or, you know, at the very least, be the one that gets to make the decisions around her own body. And as we're talking about, you know, things like reproductive rights, there is also body autonomy regarding things like, you know, the care that you get for your your medical care. And at what age do we feel like our kids are old enough to start making their own decisions? I just thought this was really, really moving. And I thought it would really round out a great conversation to discuss how, you know, teens need to be part of these kinds of conversations, that they are old enough at times and adults enough at times to be a part of those conversations. Now, with her parents also being immigrants, it also added some dimension with where they're trying to get health insurance or get her medical bills covered and they're struggling and they face additional challenges that um, maybe American parents aren't always facing. So I felt like that really, really flushed out the story even more. Natalia will be joining us for the author interview series too to discuss what it has meant to have a character that she could write where she could weave in her own history. I just, I'm really, really excited to read this book with you guys. Well, Amy, I know you and I have joked about some of the YA fiction we read growing up where it was like, what kind of terrible things can we pile on? But there's, (laughs) (laughs) there are ways where it can be done so well, um, where you learn a lot by reading it, but it's not just like hitting you over the head with like, learn, you know, it's like a, a fully fleshed out story with a message and also making you think at the same time. And it sounds like this book ticks all those boxes. Yeah, it's uplifting. It's also about a girl just coming into her own powers and the way that she weaves in this mermaid attraction and how she starts to like embed, you know, things about herself into the show. It's just really empowering. It's one that I would share with my teen daughter. And I think you should share with your teen son or daughter because it's a really empowering read. And I loved that we are embracing three uh, picks that really embrace disability awareness as well. Well, let's move on to August. We've got Take My Hand by Dolan Perkins Valdez. Um, and this is a reader's choice. So please tell us a little bit more about what how you picked that and that book. Yeah. So reader's choice, we send out a poll to all of our readers where they get to, you know, decide which books they would like to read together. And three of the books that get the most votes get to move on to our year. So nine of them are picked by me. Three of them are picked by you. Now, this one was going to be in my nine, but then you guys picked it. So now like all the stress is off me because I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay, well, that really worked out because I had already planned to pursue Dolan for our author interview series. And I'm so excited that we're all in agreement that this is a book that we want to talk about together. This is a historical fiction selection, and it is taking inspiration from the real life history of two girls. Their names were Mary Alice and Minnie Lee Ralph. And in 1973, at ages 12 and 14, they were surgically sterilized without consent in Montgomery, Alabama. 
Now, this is adding some dimension to this by telling this story through the eyes of a Black nurse who is at her very first job unknowingly participating in the sterilization project. And it's kind of giving her this information and then saying, now, what are you going to do? What? Mm. How are you going to handle this um, in your role? And Sybil, our narrator, she has been facing a lot with these two particular girls that she's caring for because they have so many things going on. They are in poverty, which is how they, you know, qualify to be part of this program. And also that they have a lot of basic needs that are not being met. And Sybil comes from a, you know, more wealthy family. She has parents that are in the medical profession. She has like people who love and support her. And she's like, I'm going to fix this. And it's a lot like how I think many of us, when we see something broken or a system that's broken and we start to maybe, let's say, give a donation or do something. And then we realize, oh, but then they also don't have this or Mm -hmm. they don't have this. And it starts to build up. Over time, Sybil is kind of inserting herself in situations that are maybe less professional or she is like, you know, taxing everyone around her to try to fix all of these holes that are going on. And it keeps building up and building up to a very shocking conclusion. Now, given the recent events, again, in women's reproductive history, uh, this is just a really powerful examination about what role government plays in family making and how we protect systems when they feel broken. The moral and ethical questions, though, in this time in history that we are contemplating, I think many people might be surprised to hear that this is still happening. Mm-hmm. Now, in Valdez's author's note, we discover that between the years of 2006 and 2010, nearly 150 women in California state prison had been sterilized without official consent. And then later in 2020, a whistleblower alleged that immigrant women detained by ICE were also forcibly sterilized without their consent. When we talk about things like this, I think sometimes we think, oh, but that was, you know, way back then. And these yeah, a long time happening. ago, not happening anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually was really surprised to read that. And because of that, I think that Dolan will be a really uh, compelling author interview to watch. Uh, she is going to share about her extensive research on reproductive justice and what she's learned, particularly about black women who struggle to access affordable health care due to social and economic inequalities. I completely acknowledge that this is going to be a difficult selection, but I also think it's going to be a necessary one. And I think that these are the types of books that are made for book clubs to discuss and to dive into. Yeah, and really wrestle with those tough questions um, because sometimes it's it really helps to hear other people's uh, perspectives and, and their backgrounds and experiences um, when you're talking about such a tough topic. Wow. Well, okay, let's look at September. We've got a book called True Biz, B-I-Z by Sarah Novick, another reader's choice. Tell us about this one. Yeah, this reader's choice selection you may know about because it was also a Reese's book club pick and sometimes our book clubs overlap. I went ahead and grabbed this great quote from New York Times because I think it's the best description that one could write about this book. It said, True Biz takes place at River Valley School for the Deaf 
a fictional community populated by opinionated, hormonal, rabble-rousing students. In other words, basic teenagers, albeit ones unburdened by having to hear things all the time. (laughs) So in this author's note, she is sharing how deaf and hard of hearing students often feel very broken and they are kept apart from their peers. And the author stresses the importance and essential nature of deaf schools as community hubs, the safekeepers of their language, history, and dreams for the future. Now, readers have been praising this one as a beautiful way to understand what it means to be deaf and how it relates to identity. And many of us, including myself, absolutely loved CODA, the film, and found that to be like a really immersive way to learn about the deaf community. And I think that this book is going to fulfill that notch if you wanted to um, continue to learn more about that. Our author is deaf herself, and she really doesn't participate in lots of, you know, interviews, but we did reach out for a written interview request for our community. Either way, I know that we're going to learn a ton through this love letter to language itself. I do want to mention that um, I bought the hardback copy of this, and the book's print edition has really gorgeous, like, sign language illustrations. And I want to say, Katie, from Currently Read, when I read her review of this one, she said she enjoyed reading it as a tandem read. So she had the audiobook going, but then also had the sign language illustrations in front of her. So I would do either that or I would pick the print copy so that you can see those illustrations as you're reading through this book. Yeah, that sounds like another book where we're going to learn a lot about something that, you know, if you don't have a reason to, um, or someone in your family who's deaf, then you might not have ever considered some of the questions that it'll raise. So I love that as a September pick. Okay, let's move on to October. We've got the London Seance Society by Sarah Penner. Sounds like a good October choice. Tell us about it. Yeah, so this one will be available to pre-order. It is not out yet. It comes out on April 11th. So just, you know, FYI, if you're trying to buy the book club picks early, spooky season, you guys know, is my favorite (laughs) time of year. I am totally immersing myself in it. And last year, we did a horror selection. We did our first weird fiction, which um, had some 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 great feedback. And then also some people that didn't love weird fiction. And that's okay. Like that is what book clubs are meant to do is take you out of your comfort zones. But I think that this one is a really great one. If you prefer like slow burn mysteries, uh, this one is gothic historical fiction. And it's set in the late 1800s. We've got mayhem, murder, and mystery, which I feel like that is three perfect for spooky. <laughs> perfect for spooky month. This pick is another feminist forward pick, but it fits the context of the time period because most well-known mediums at this time were women. And it was one of the very few professions where women were more highly respected than men. I mean, I, wow. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. So in our story, Vaudeline is a renowned spiritualist best known for her abilities to conjure spirits of murder victims to help solve cases, which leads her to a really booming business thanks to lots of widows and investigators who want to get answers for you know, murder investigations that they were unable to get. And we also have another character, her name is Lena, who becomes involved in Vaudeline's life when she heads to Paris to uncover answers about her sister's death. Now, to get these explanations, though, she is a skeptic and she has to 
push aside some misgivings about the occult. When Vaudeline's services are requested to solve a high-profile case, Lena ends up accompanying her as her understudy, and what they start to uncover is an elaborate underground of powerful men in a secret seance society filled with secrets of another kind altogether. And the women become entangled in this underbelly. It's told in shifting viewpoints. And the mystery starts very slow burn. I just want to say, like, at first I was like, I don't know. Like, and then all of a sudden, everything just starts rapidly picking up pace. It comes to a really shocking conclusion. Hmm. And the ending could only be described as diabolical. Now, wow. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I know. And I do want to say this is totally a Megan book because I'm like, it's Victorian. It's like got yes. murder and mayhem and mystery. And it's just, it's really well done. Sarah Penner has actually had some enormous success with her debut. This book was selected, though, not only because she's a seasoned historical fiction writer, but it has a really unique dynamic discussion for our author interview series for Halloween that I thought would be unlike anything else I could do. Because as part of Sarah's research, she attended a weekend retreat at a spiritualist camp established more than a century ago to experience a real-life seance. And she went with her mom, which I thought was really fun. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And she admits that she is actually an admitted skeptic. So she shares what that experience is like and the extensive research research on the club that she loosely based her novel on. There was a club back in the day, I guess in 1862, called the Ghost Club. And among its members are Charles Dickens and Arthur Conan Doyle. And apparently it still exists today. So we are inviting you into the fold, whether you believe in this stuff or not. It's <laughs> Everyone is all welcome to participate in this really unique discussion to learn the secret history behind the Victorian world of the spiritualist movement. I love it. Well, murder, mayhem, Mystery and Megan, the four M's. I will be looking forward to October. It looks, looks like a great one. Um, let's move on to November. We've got Black Cake by Charmaine Wilkerson. Love the name of that one too. Tell us about it. Yes, this is also a reader's choice. It it was a Jenna's book club pick too, so you may recognize it. It's set in present day California. We have Eleanor Bennett who has passed away and she's left behind a puzzling inheritance for her two children, Byron and Benny, along with a traditional Caribbean black cake made from a family recipe with a long history and a voice recording. And in that message, they learn of Eleanor's secret past where she escaped her island home under suspicion of murder. Again, back to murder themes. <laughs> so the siblings are trying to decide if they can reclaim their relationship and fulfill Eleanor's request to share this black cake when the timing feels right. Charmaine Wilkerson's debut is in development right now to become a Hulu series with Oprah Winfrey's Harpo Films and the creators of The Handmaid's Tale, which I know many of wow. us have been enjoying. So this adaptation is kind of just another reason beyond just it being a reader's pick to read this debut. Now, Wilkerson is an American writer who has lived in Jamaica, and she's currently residing in Italy. I, I pursued her for the author interview series, and I was thrilled that she has agreed to be part of our discussion. I can't wait to hear how the black cake recipe, a simple 
of celebration, Caribbean tradition and family had sparked such a beautiful family story. I love that. I love that there's like a recipe at the heart of it and also like possibly a piece of mystical cake. <laughs> yeah. Like, it doesn't get better than mystical cake, right? <laughs> I know. I feel like we have to make this cake and and learn once we learn about it so that it could be a totally immersive experience to do that. Did you ever see the episode of Seinfeld where Elaine had like the hundred year old cake? Yes. Do you know what I'm talking yes. about? Yeah. Yes, and she ate it. I think it was her boss's cake. Anyway, I'm digressing, but that was really funny. That's what I'm picturing her oh, dancing. I mean, you could go. I mean, that, that makes me think of Nestle Tool House. Uh, from, <laughs> <Yes>. from friends too. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So we're coming to the end of the year when it comes to your um, regular book club selections. This last one for December is The Memoirs of Stockholm Sven by Nathaniel Ian Miller. What a great name. Yes. I am obsessed with this book. I have one quote that I want to start out with that kind of sums up what the plot line is. It says, it is quite something to feel sure that you're alone in the world and then to recall that you are not. And Hmm. this ended up being my favorite book of the year, hands down, just so beautiful. It's a historical fiction pick. It's set in early 1900s. So again, no Holocaust this year, no no sadness. This has got its own level of sadness, but it's it's really beautiful. And it's just the perfect kind of book for December. It's got a winter setting. We have a man, he's bookish and introverted. He's seeking solitude, but he ends up finding his chosen family instead. So in the early 1900s, Sven leaves Stockholm to, to seek adventures in Svalbard, a Norwegian archipelago in the Arctic Ocean, where he hopes to see the Northern Lights and be at one with the Arctic wilderness. Unfortunately, his plans end up dramatically changing because he's involved in this devastating mining accident. It takes a lot of the people around him and it leaves him deformed, disfigured, and he is, you know, kind of embarrassed about his appearance and can't really do that job job anymore. And he decides to flee even further to a remote location even more remote than where he was before. Wow. And he he decides to live in this really quiet place where he's going to live in a hut in a life of solitude with only his dog as a companion. But years into this isolation, he's starting to form reluctant friendships, not only with a Scottish mining executive from before and a reclusive Finnish trapper from his new life. And these two men expand Sven's world beyond his life as a recluse. And it grows even further when correspondences with his sister ends up bringing some unlikely visitors. So this is a fictional memoir. It's got adventure stories. We've got a man and his dog, and it's like so beautiful. We are out in the Arctic wilderness. I mean, it's everything that you want in a winter read. It's richly imagined. Even though it's 1900s like timing, it doesn't read stuffy or, Mm. you know, like something that you don't want to pick up. And it's really imaginative and richly descriptive in, in every single aspect of the story. It reads like a classic, even though it is his first book. And I think that, uh, it reminds us that even in the most inhospitable of conditions that we are not beyond reaches of love. So I will admit fully and on air that I pursued Nathan L. Ian Miller like no one I've ever pursued before. (laughs) 
<laughs> for the author interview series. I'm that, picturing you, know, you I, hiking across the Arctic Circle with a pack dog and I don't know. <laughs> I was a little aggressive. I sent him some, you know, like requests and love letters about his book within his contact form, did not hear back and was like, all right, I have to go through the scrappy avenue of you know, stalking you on Instagram for a little bit. So um, he was just very kind. He had been out and about and did not get the message. It was Doing not life. because I was being crazy. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And even his response felt like, I don't know, something Sven might write where he was like, I'll just be tending to the farm and scribbling another story <laughs> and I can, you know, make space for this. But um, I do want to say that he has an MFA in creative writing, an MS in environmental studies from the University of Montana. And he is a former resident in the Arctic Circle Expeditionary Program. So wow. I think talking quite to him a resume. is going to be... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think that it is going to be a really unique conversation. I mean, I don't know anybody else who's in the Arctic Circle Expeditionary Program. And so I think he's going to bring a lot to the table. And because Sven is such a you know, richly imagined character, I think it's going to be a really fun way to end our year. Well, I have a thing for northerly stories, um, stories about cold climate adventure. And I also really love when they're set actually around the turn of the century. That's like one of my favorites. So that sounds like a super win for a December read for me next, next year. Okay, so we've wrapped up the year, but we still have three more bonus selections. Um, these are for patrons. And I am really excited about the very first one. The February bonus is a book that you turned me on to and then I could not stop texting you and Marco Poloing you about. Um, it's called One's Company by Ashley Hudson. Amy, tell us why you chose this for one thing and just about the book in general. Okay, it's kind of an anti-Valentine's Day pick, I would say, <laughs> um, because this character does not want anyone around her and she is seeking solitude of another nature. Now, I know we just talked about a very heartwarming um, solitude. This is a, a strange and dark book, and it's one that I think that everyone should read as a group. Like, I don't think that you can read this alone and not try to loop someone else in to talk about no, it. I you say that multiple people in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know you told me you're like, you have to read this book. No, please do. Please read this book. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. this is really um, interesting storyline. I will say I do think it will be polarizing, but I think it's a really fascinating exploration on how we use media to escape our real lives. So following a traumatic event, our main character, Bonnie Lincoln, does desires more than anything to escape the realities of her life. She has found her escape in the nostalgic glow of a 70s sitcom called Three's Company. And when she wins this lottery that she enters, she ends up winning a large sum of money and decides that the way that she wants to spend her earnings is replicating the exact set of the 70s show down to the smallest detail to recreate it as her lived experience in isolation, living every day just as the characters. Now, the reader is following along, not just as Bonnie is like, you know, creating the set, but she is embodying and, and selects different characters throughout her season on the show down to their commute their work, their clothing. She's got wigs, um, makeup. Uh, it's an entire transformation. And she has done this so that she can really just immerse herself fully in that story. The problem is 
reality starts to creep in and it starts to disrupt Bonnie's perfectly manufactured sitcom world. And we are not really entirely sure as readers if these threats are real. Now, I know that we are used to unreliable narrators and it's something that we find a lot in thrillers, but somehow the way that uh, this author in particular writes it, it is uh, really unsettling and different. Like you don't know where it's going and it's really, uh, it's really disorienting as a reader. And I think that the book is symbolic in how we all find ways to escape our realities just on grander scales. It kind of asks us to, um, you know, to examine what happens when we don't process our traumas. And mm. I think too, like I, I would say during the pandemic, I had never really watched sitcoms before, but when all of that was going down, all I wanted to do was live in a predictable world where everything ended tidy and I didn't have to stress out anymore about those characters. So a part of me can see myself and Bonnie. And I think many of us have used things like that as tools to navigate difficult seasons. So this will just be a flat out, like kind of buddy read kind of discussion. (laughs) And I think it will be fun to talk about like some of the sitcom trivia that inspired this. And as you've come to expect in our other chats, we will have lots to talk about as we learn about sitcom story building. I thought this book was so fascinating on several levels. First of all, just the, the very methodical recreation of the three's company yes. said I grew up watching that in syndication and I remembered some of the scenes and had to go like oh my gosh and like Google what did you know what did the bathroom look like or what did Mr. Roper's apartment look like and also how um there was like three different realities right there was like the real reality then there was her created reality and then there was when real reality started to crash up against her created reality and created this third bizarro world yeah <laughs> so, like a break uh, Yes, exactly. And so um, I also thought it was very interesting that she's not a very likable character. And you did mention that some readers might have a hard time with that. And uh, I sent it to my sister and my sister kept texting me and saying, I hate everybody in this book. But then she finally said, but it doesn't matter because I'm all in. So (laughs) you have to give it a little time to like get past the fact that you don't like anybody, but it's still worth reading. Right. Yeah. I do want to say too, like, The unlikable characters can be challenging. I know that I have picked past books where that happened and there are some of you that just cannot get on board. This character isn't going to evolve and (laughs) you have to just appreciate that this is more about the sitcom setting and like this kind of fabricated world than it will be about an evolution of Bonnie because Bonnie's going to yeah. kind of sit in her little space yeah. where you start out as. But it, it really is one of the most unique books. I just was on TikTok watching a book talker talk about under the radar book picks that she thought people needed to talk about more. And when she posted like this book, I was like, I've now signed up for all 10 of the other books that she was talking about because I'm like, <laughs> yeah. if you love this book, then I think that we will be yeah. great reading friends and I want to check out the rest of your books for sure. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely not a neat and tidy conclusion at the end, but it does leave you with interesting questions, which I love as a reader. Yes. All right. So for September's bonus, this is a reader's choice bonus selection. It is Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. Yeah. So this was the top reader's choice. So we are putting it into our Patreon spot because I wanted to make some unique bonus content around it. And I didn't think we could just do that in our traditional chat. So this personally was probably 
my second favorite book of the year, right behind Stockholm's Fen, which was just such a unique <laughs> journey. And I want to enhance your experience with this book because I know many of you have read it. And I will say that there were mixed opinions. Some people were huge, huge fans like me and others didn't connect with it as much. And there's a specific reason why you didn't connect with it that I think that I might be able to fill in some gaps on. So Gabrielle Zevin is a tried and true storyteller. I loved the storied life of AJ Fickery, but no one could have prepared me for this epic and sweeping journey that she crafts in this story. Now, for three decades, we follow two unlikely friends who find each other in a children's hospital. Sadie's sister is receiving treatment for cancer, and Sam is recovering from a series of surgeries after a tragic car accident. And the thing that they do to bond together is they have a shared love of video games, and in that gaming room of the hospital, that's where their friendship starts. But Sam discovers that Sadie has been tallying her visits to fulfill a volunteer service project, and that is when he is like really angry and decides to disconnect from with her because he never wants to feel like someone's charity project and he doesn't feel like their friendship is real. So it ends that really quickly. But later in life, they discover each other in college when Sadie is sharing another computer game she's been developing. So the two are both really talented and they decide to pair their talents together to create a game and it follows them throughout this journey where they have success in the gaming industry with their first game. And it also follows consequences of virtual world building when they start to build a world where all are welcome that ends up ending in violence and a dissolution of their formed partnership. Now, this is a beautiful experience and hit my sweet spot, even though I wasn't a gamer, just because my husband has a you know, history in like the dot com world of programming and creating things. And he is a designer, a web designer. And so I appreciate those elements. I also appreciated the gaming aspect because I have two children that are gamers. And um, I also have a husband who's a gamer. So I'm around games all the time. And I started to think about how much I enjoyed like games like Oregon Trail when I was a kid, but haven't, you know, connected with games at all. And because Zevin writes this in such a beautiful like beautifully fully fleshed way with her games within this world, I started to think about how can I add games into my world? And I picked up Stardew Valley, which is like the super cozy game that my daughter plays. And she, you know, was generous enough to also write me a little guide and, and help me get started. I am like basically Laura Ingalls. I have like down to the prairie dress <laughs> and I have like crops and land and I meet the, you know, townspeople and I have like a really great life on on my Stardew Valley game. And I pair that with my audiobooks because way back we had a episode with an ADHD coach and she shared how tandem activities are really good for busy brains to keep hmm. yourself immersed in audiobooks. And sense. so, yeah, so I decided, okay, I'm going to pick up games and I've realized like this is really great for my reading life. So for our patrons, I thought that it would be really nice to have a cozy game content creator on to talk about what gaming means to them, maybe some ideas of games that we could play while we are also listening to our audiobooks. And I have tried to convince my husband. Now he is like 99% sure, but I'm promising it on air, even though he's like really not thrilled about, you know, being the center of attention. <laughs> but he has such a 
long history with gaming that I am asking him to read this book and talk about it with us and just tell us like, what did Zevin get right? What did she get wrong? Is it accurate? Like how have has gaming like enhanced his life? And, and if she got that world correct? I think you're so right that um, gaming can seem like such a turnoff to a lot of women I'm just going to generalize there. And mm-hmm. I have been one of them when we think of games as being something where like the point is, uh, like slay the dragon or shoot down the spaceship or whatever we, whatever we were immersed in growing up. But there are these worlds that are really fun to explore. And sometimes we just haven't been exposed to those kinds of games yet. So I love that like through this book, you can get that exposure and see that there is yeah. this whole other world. Love that. I, yeah, I will say that Stardew Valley, you know, that's a perfect example. Just I want to quickly say this because it's yeah. just really kind of funny is that when I started picking up that game, I told my husband, like I had been working on my land for like days. Like I just I'm like, I will go buy seeds. I plant the things <laughs> and then I watch it grow and then I cut it down and then I go sell it and I go get more seeds. And he was like, have you gone to the mines? Have you done this? Have you done this? Have you got any points? Did you unlock the badges? And I was like, I just get up in the morning and I, I just want to I, I play the game. And he seeds. was like, that's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. I would never think about that. He's like, for him, it's always about goals, points, getting yeah. the badges, winning the game. And I'm like, I'm content just doing that same square of land like every day and like listening to my audiobook. And so it's really interesting how the two of us use those those games in different ways yeah. and still love it, both of us. Yeah. I have a, um, I use Duolingo, which is a little bit different, but it's like a language learning game. And my son, Owen, who's like a super gamer, goes to me, so have you beat, you know, have you like gotten your XP points, blah, blah, blah. I said, I don't even know what the XP, I see them. Like, I know that I'm earning them. Do I trade them in for something? I have no idea what any of the points get me. What? So I just want to go on there and like do my lesson and be done. So I get it. It's like the experience is enough for me. I don't have to win anything. But there's very different ways to experience games. Okay, we are at our very last book, um, last patron selection. And this is, (laughs) I love the name of this book, My Best Friend's Exorcism by Grady Hendrix. And this is your October bonus pick. Please tell me about this book. Okay, so anybody who has read Grady Hendrix knows that uh, he writes really immersive stories. And this one is no exception. And the reason why I picked it is it's like 80s nostalgia. It has lots of immersive qualities about it. It's campy. So I thought it would be perfect for October uh, to kind of like have a nostalgic feeling about our reading. If you get the paperback book, it looks like an actual VHS cover. And it's even got like the Be Kind Rewind stamp on it. And it's like weathered and it looks like you're getting a VHS tape. And every single one of the songs is an 80s pop song, which you can then, you know, use their Spotify playlist and follow along on this 80s journey. So I do want to say before um, I describe it that the digital version is very different than the paperback version. I hmm. bought the paperback, which I'm glad I have for my feed because it, you know, it, there's nothing like real books for a Instagram feed, but 
if I was going to pick it, I would probably do it in the digital version. And if you're looking for a affordable or cheap way to do it, definitely check out Scribd because they have that in their digital collection. So in the story, since fourth grade, high school sophomores, Abby and Gretchen have been best friends. And one evening, they decide to party with the cool kids. And it leads to a very unlikely incident where these girls who are kind of nerdy end up going skinny dipping that ends in a really strange turn of events, as you may gather from the title, which is My Best Friend's Exorcism. And the book ends up proposing this question, is their friendship powerful enough to beat the devil? Now, it's described as Beaches meets The Exorcist, and I have found it to be just deliciously campy and nostalgic. I think this is like a fun one where, you know, some of these books are more community building than necessarily like intellectual like discussions this is more falling in community building there's also a movie out so i have heard it's not great but i i have personally not seen it yet but i just want to say that if you want to keep immersing yourself there's lots of ways to interact with this book in particular and i thought we could celebrate this for the horror that it is without it being too scary, just kind of campy instead. I love it. Well, Amy, you've put together an amazing lineup of books for 2023. I can't wait to dive into many of them myself. And I know you're going to create an amazing experience for your members. So congrats on putting it all together. It's so cool. Well, thank you for hosting this chat. And and fun fact, guys, Megan's hosted this twice, which I'm just going <laughs> to out myself. <laughs> um, my microphone was not working the first time. And she came back and generously is doing this again. So you, you're being part of this essentially twice. <laughs> it's just well, I learned even more the second time around. So I'm, I was just <laughs> happy to be here. It was a lot of fun. Well, I appreciate you. Thank you for doing this. Thanks, and I'll, I'll see you next year. I have nothing more to say. I could just shut up now. Thanks, you too. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> 